Shalom. I am reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the Torah was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua, the Messiah. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You know, I remember Joy and I taking a uh, trip to what James would consider God's country, which is Oregon. I, of course, know better. (laughs) Couldn't help. Yes, I could. Uh, And we took a, um, uh, a walk in several places. One of those places was uh, a jetty, sort of a uh, concrete, um, a bunch of concrete that jutted out into the, uh, into the ocean. Uh, the Corps of Engineers, I suppose, had some extra concrete and didn't quite know what to do with it, so they dumped it there. In any event, I remember walking and uh, taking a, just standing at the edge of the uh, of this pier and looking, and uh, it was overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever done that, but uh, to see <clears throat> the raw power of the waves just crashing. And staring to the depths and, and realizing how um, tiny and weak you are in comparison to this to this incredible amount of power. And there are several passages in Scripture <clears throat> that make me feel very much like that. That when I look into and study the Word of God. Um, I feel like a dot in this massive universe. And yet, I know that the one who created this universe is there and then I'm intimately connected to him. Just kind of overwhelming, isn't it? John chapter 1 is one of those passages and I want to stop and uh, pause for a word of prayer. Just ask that the Spirit of God um, would um, enlighten us and and give us some clue of of the depths of what is in this passage. Lord God, we thank you that you are on one hand unknowable, on the other hand. We praise you, Lord God, that 
you choose to reveal yourself to us. And we praise you and thank you for that, Lord, that you are approachable, unapproachable and approachable at the same time. We pray, Lord, that your Ruach would open our eyes and give us a spirit of knowledge and understanding to know you better, Lord. We pray, Lord, that for each of us, your word would come alive and would convey your heart and your mind, Lord God, and that we would resonate and connect with it, Lord, and that we would be built up and encouraged and strengthened and transformed by the renewing of our mind. We praise you, Lord God, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen? Amen. Just want to make sure you're alive and well. I know it's Shabbat morning and statistically and demographically, it's the absolutely worst possible day to have for uh, worshiping God. But um, God knows better, right? For some reason, he chose Shabbat as a time for us to, to worship him. You know, you, uh, you look at society around, and at least I find that society gets goofy. Don't, don't you ever feel that way? Especially this week, um, I saw the uh, massive headline in the Denver Post, and a picture of a young fellow with the salute of power to the people. Uh, this, in case you're not familiar with, um, was part of the army of occupation in front of the Denver Capitol uh, because they were outraged at what has been taking place um, over the last several years because of the greed um, of the bankers and financial institutions and so on, and that while on one hand the uh, the f banks have been making money hand over fist. On the other hand, you still have 9% of the population unemployed. It is an, an outrage, um, and that is why they were down there. But it, it just made me feel like, uh, to use the words of, Dej of um, Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again, um, I'm old enough, I'm dating myself here, to remember the days when the power to the people salute was pretty common. But it just makes you feel that society sort of like comes and goes in, in waves, you know? And, and we're encouraged by our culture to live for the moment and really don't have a clue of anything broader, anything larger, anything that has a greater amount of perspective other than live for the moment. And you know, it gives us such a myopic perspective. You know, we just look at ourselves, at what's happening today, at the fact that I'm, I'm hungry and need to go get lunch, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're not really able to see a bigger picture. And because of that, when waves do come and wash over us and we run into, into difficulty, we really have no clue what to do with it because we're consumed by the moment. And it's good for us to learn to understand the perspective that we see in Scripture particularly in passages like this. And you may know that John, as he's writing the gospel, was probably in his 90s at the conclusion of the, the first century. And he is apparently able to function normally at this point, but not much farther down the road. He gets grabbed and shipped off to the Alcatraz of his day. You know, a little rocky place called Patmos. And yet, 
what fills his screen is not Caesar, but Yeshua. And by the way, you may know that towards the end of the first century, and even earlier, believers were pressed between a rock and a hard place. There were instances where, where people would travel and they would have to stop at a toll booth and there would be a, a statue of a Caesar and they would be expected to take a pinch and also an altar. They would be expected to take a pinch of incense and throw it on the altar and proclaim, Caesar is Lord. You can understand that for someone who is a follower of Yeshua, this is a real problem. Because Caesar is not Lord, Yeshua is Lord. Amen? So John deals with all of this. And in addition to that, there's all kinds of goofiness uh, doctrinally. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, people in those days were beginning to pursue what, what we would now call the new age. Actually, it was the old age, but, you know, we would call it new age. But basically, a, a, a heresy or, or a religion called Gnosticism that basically presented God as unapproachable man, as um, sinful, and that between God and man there was a series of spiritual beings called eons. And that as you went from the lowest eon to the highest eon, they became more and more spiritual, more and more um, holy, and that a person had to go through the series of eons in order to get to God. And all this series in Greek was called pleroma or fullness. By the way, Paul doesn't appreciate that. And he says, no, the pleroma, the fullness is in Yeshua. And you're complete in him. John presents the same kind of message. That what fills his screen is Yeshua. And he invites us to take a step back in time, sort of get into a time machine and go way back to creation and even further beyond. You may be aware of the fact that the statement in the beginning is exactly the same kind of language that we find in Genesis 1.1, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning was the beginning God created. John, obviously, as a first century Jew, is thinking about that. And his mind goes right back to Genesis. And, he's, and he tells the readers to come back and pause from what they're, what they're doing, their struggles, their persecution, and come back with him to the beginning of creation and even further back to gain a center, sense of perspective, a, a sense of proportion, rather. We need to do that, folks, because part of our problem is there's so much sensory overload that comes, that, that comes barraging us on all kinds of levels that we are forced to try and process it, and the truth is we really can't. It really is an overload when you think about it. You know, if, uh, if you watch TV and, and you, you have multiple screens and, and, and you have uh, images come flashing at you or you sit and, and uh, you open your, your email and you, you have several images uh, on several uh, corners of your eye and you're trying to focus. It's Meshuggi, right? It's hugely important for us to come back and say, in the beginning was the Word. And recognize the fact that life as it is, 
whether we feel that is controlled or not by us is under God's control. That is why we recite traditionally Adonai Malach, the Lord reigned, Adonai Molech, the Lord reigns, Adonai Imloch Le'olam Va'ed, the Lord will reign forever and ever. You're either anchored in that very basic reality or else you're blown about like tumbleweed by everything that comes along, comes down the pike. We have to stop and come back and recognize the fact that there's a greater reality. Yes, we have to deal with the facts on the ground, but we have to go back and see who God is and the fact that we are connected to Him, that He is not out there and beyond us, but He's very much approachable. Of course, this is where John brings us, gives us an understanding of who Yeshua is. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, perhaps you're one of these folks who can stand and give a complete and perfect explanation of the mystery of how Yeshua is God in human form. Um, if, you, if you claim to be that person, I would have to look at you and say that you are lying. Because the only one who truly understands that is God. It is a mystery. And it is okay to say it is a mystery. There are things we understand about it. The things that we don't understand. And at least from my perspective, I pray that God would give me enough understanding. Just a smidge of understanding so that I can relate to Him properly. And I can relate His truth properly. Rather than be able to say, I have a complete and full understanding of that. And by the way, that is what the uh, church fathers try to do with, with the creeds. They were wrestling with heresies and they were trying to define exactly who Yeshua is. And from my perspective, they failed because there's absolutely no way that you can take the mystery of God and reduce it into completely into human form. It is a mystery. It's beyond us. And by the way, because the church fathers wrestled with that in with Greek philosophical language, for those of us who come from a Jewish background, we look at that and we just have a hard time with it. And by the way, for... Jewish people who don't know Yeshua and, and who have not accepted Him, because of all these formulations of the creeds and so on, they look at Yeshua and they say He is the God of the Gentiles. So what does John do? And by the way, as you look into the Word of God, as you look into the New Testament, it is rare, rare, rare to find statements such as Yeshua is God. This is as close as we come to a statement that's, that gives us an equation. Yeshua is God. And folks, the reality is that John is a first century Jew. And Jewish people then and also today were extremely allergic to anything that, look, that possibly could look like idolatry. So that is why you have a lot of references to the word the name Hashem. And, and you have other ways to speak about God without saying God. Because Jewish people at that time were very um, sensitive. You might say oversensitive, oversensitive. But very sensitive to looking as if they are like the pagans around them and worshipping many gods. So... What does John do? What does this word mean? And of course, again, from a Greek 
philosophical mindset, which is what you get often in the church, this notion of word comes from the Greek word logos, which was something that came from Plato to Philo, who was a Hellenistic Jew. And this word logos had to do with the divine reason. I'm inclined to think that John really was a Jew, and he thought like Jews. And in the first century, you have a word that describes God without saying God, and that was memra. Memra was Aramaic word that had to do with the word mean, meaning God. I don't know if you, your brains are smoking or if you're following where I'm going with this. But for example, even in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh itself, it speaks about how God sends his power. It is him sending his power to do his things, for exa- to, to do his will. For example, Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of their mouth. Was God there, active, engaged in creation? You bet. But for reasons that sometimes we may not understand, Scripture uses God's power this, in this indirect way. Part of that is simply the same struggle that we have, and that is how do you know and how do you understand who God is? He's beyond us. He's beyond us. He's beyond us. It's, it, it is wonderful for us to be able to say God is his mysteries are beyond understanding. You find that in the Old Testament, you find that in the New Testament. Isn't that special and wonderful and precious to be able to say that God is infinitely greater than I am? Do you want to believe in God that you can put in a box, label it, and then when you need God, just pull Him out, use Him, and when you're done with Him, Stuff him back in a box. Some people b- believe in that kind of a God. The Word of God presents the Lord as being infinitely greater than us. And it's especially precious during those times when you bang your head against the wall and you have no clue what's going on and you're driven mishugi and you say, Thank you, Lord, that you're infinitely greater than, than me and my weaknesses. You're infinitely greater than spiritual warfare and Satan and all that's out there, you are the greatest God, El Elyon, God Most High. It is precious, folks, to embrace the mystery of God and to understand just the fact that He is way beyond us. And that's what John does here. We have to embrace the fact that the Lord is way beyond us. And yet, don't you love it? A a Jewish answer. On one hand, on the other hand. The Lord is way beyond us, way beyond our understanding. Yet He's understandable even by a young child. Why? Because God sees fit to reveal himself to us. And as James earlier pointed out, it's possible that during this time of year, Yeshua actually, that God physically manifested himself and became man by taking on a human form. And no, we're not going to duke it out with other folks who are convinced that that the, the incarnation, Yeshua's birth, took place on the 25th of December. Uh, that's one of the questions we can ask the Lord when we see him. Lord, when did you actually come down to earth? Until then, we can speculate. That's okay to speculate as long as we don't 
are not filled with ourselves, right? But what John then goes on to talk talk about is not only the mystery of God, but also the fact that God is approachable. By the way, this is something that Judaism by and large does not teach today, rabbinic Judaism, that according to rabbinic Judaism, God is unapproachable, with only exception when you go into Kabbalah, into mysticism, as, um, as Madonna and other people like her do, and get into all this funky mystical stuff. But traditional Judaism presents God as unapproachable. I, for one, am grateful that he is very much approachable. Need both aspects of God. You find in the church often this notion of God is my buddy, without a clue, without a smidge of understanding that God is holy, holiest, and, and way beyond us. You need both understanding that God is, is mysterious, and yet he's approachable. John is saying in verse 14, I want to park here, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does that mean in plain English? I was watching a movie um, this week, and by the way, part of my um, ongoing education is learning all about the, the joys of American childhood, which I didn't have because my childhood was in Israel. So I watched the movie called uh, The Pauper and the Prince, very familiar story, and uh, great movie. And on one hand, you have the, the prince and his father floating by in this very ornate, gilded boat. And on the other hand, just off the banks, you have the, the paupers, ragged clothes, dirty, filthy, hungry, scrapping Completely different reality. And somehow the pauper breaks through, runs away from his cruel father, breaks through and sneaks under the opening into the palace grounds, becomes buddy with the, with the prince. You probably know the story. And they switch places. The prince takes on his dirty clothes, gets into back where the poor folks are, barely survives, barely has enough food, has to to chase all kinds of people, eventually to come back and becomes crowned as the king. And it's such a powerful picture for me of how Yeshua, the king of kings, came down and became a pauper. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. The majesty of God is is presented in a form that we can see and understand. The awesomeness of God on one hand, on the other hand, God's continual commitment to hang out with mankind. And folks, that's what the incarnation is about. That's what John is saying. The word became flesh. The Greek word there could possibly come from a Hebrew word, shochen, shachan, from which we, the rabbis came up with a term that you may know as shekinah glory. And this reflects the heart of God going all the way back to the garden because in the Garden of Eden, as you read the story in Genesis chapter 3, the voice of God walked during the cool of the day. Very strange language, isn't it? But, But it basically suggests that the presence of God 
hung out with Adam and Eve when it was cool. Not when, when it was 130 degrees. When it was cool and pleasant. And since that time, God has been wanting to restore that relationship with mankind. He's been working relentlessly to bring about that restoration. And that's part of what took place in a tabernacle. And you may find a tabernacle to be weird and bizarre because of all the blood and, and, and all the minor details. And by the way, about 56 chapters in the Torah have to do with a tabernacle in one form or another. Please. Um, why? Because it all has to do with one basic fact, and that is that God puts a very high premium on hanging out with you and I. Do you understand that? In Exodus chapter 25, the Lord says to Moses, Have them make me a sanctuary, a mikdash, that which is holy, and I will dwell among them. V'shachanti betocham. I won't ask you to pronounce that. And make me a tabernacle, mishkan, a place where I can dwell among the people. That is the purpose for the tabernacle. God pitched his tent among his people. And by the way, if you studied the Layout, the geographical layout of the tabernacle, you'll see that the 12 tribes of Israel were laid out in such a way that the tabernacle was right there in the center of it. What does that tell you? God wanted to be in the central core of his people, just like he wants to be in the center of our life. Not relegated to some kind of corner out there, to some kind of a spiritual corner. You know, when we do our spiritual thing, whenever we do our spiritual thing, if we have our devotional time, 7.5 minutes per day, or, or when we come to service, and those are valuable, but God wants, let me say that clearly, God wants all of us, the entirety of who we are, every single part of who we are, every single area of our life, every single closet of our life, he wants that to be under his rule. God is El Elyon. He doesn't appreciate the notion of, God, I will give you this much and kindly stay out of this area. No trespassing to you. God has to be the center. And that's the message that the Lord had for the people of Israel in the tabernacle. And that's the message he has for us today. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally pitched his sukkah, his tent among us. And it's such, it, it is so timely on this celebration of Sukkot for us to recognize the fact that God pitches and builds his sukkah and invites us to come and hang out with him. Amen. And we saw his glory. Again, a mystery. This, of course, takes us to Matthew chapter 17. If you look to that for just a moment. Matthew 17, of course, you see Yeshua inviting Peter and John and James to come with him to this particular mountain, which we call the Mountain of Transfiguration. And they were used to walking with Yeshua. You know, everywhere Yeshua went, they went. And when they stopped to eat lunch or to eat dinner, Yeshua did likewise. And when they fried fish... He sat down and ate with them. You can see and understand that after a while, the majesty of who Yeshua is lost its shine, lost its luster for them. 
And it's, I, I, I find it intriguing that this is the time when Yeshua is preparing to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross and to die. And he wants his disciples to know just who he is. In Matthew chapter 17, we're told that Yeshua became transformed. He became transformed in front of their eyes. And he shone, or shone like, like the sun. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. Again, everything that's written by these first century Jews is colored by what they found, what they knew in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. What does this take you to? It takes you to Moses. When Moses met with God in the tent of meeting, his face glowed and he had to cover it Because people couldn't stand to look at him. But Yeshua takes that several orders of magnitude higher. His face shines like the sun. And Moses and Elijah appear to him. Again, we can speculate why. You know, both of them had a supernatural... um, Events take place in relation to their death. Elijah was beamed up and and Moses was buried by God. The truth is we don't really know for sure why. And what happens? Peter, Mr. Impulsive, decides that he has to do something to improve the situation. Lord, let me build you a sukkah and also for Moses and also for Elijah. Uh, Peter, are, are, are you engaged in this, in what's taking place here? Do you see what's happening? Do you really have to feel like you have to pitch in and help out the situation? You kind of get the impression that Peter, rather than freaking out, would, would talk or would try to do things instead of being quiet. And the Lord doesn't rebuke him. Instead, what you have here is a message from the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, Shah! Settle down. Settle it down. This is not about you, Peter. This is about me. Don't you feel that way sometimes when, when things get uh, exciting or out of control? You want to jump in there. You want to make things manageable and understandable and fixable. And what does God want us to do? God, God wants us to just be quiet and stop and listen and let Him do His thing. Amen? We don't need... God does not need our help. It's, it's a uh, marvelous reality when, when the light bulb goes on and the Lord speaks to you and says, Thank you for volunteering, but I can really manage this universe without you. Yeshua appears... He is validated by the Father. And notice the language that is used to describe Him. This is my beloved Son. Again, what does that take you back to? This did not come from the Bahavad Gita, folks. It came back from from the Torah. When Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, the Akedah, the binding, the Lord said to him, Stop. You have proven to me that you love me even more 
than your one and only son. That you were willing to give me. You didn't want to spare even your son. And that's what the Lord is saying. Yeshua was not in a protective bubble. The Father was willing to give him, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, he who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how much more with him will he give us freely all things? Do you get that? If God gave us the best that he had, his son, will he hold back on giving us what we really need? Coming back to John chapter 1. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He had explained him. Did you ever wonder what the word begotten means? You know, it's one of these awesome, spiritually profound word that if we're really honest with ourselves, really doesn't mean a whole lot. All right. What does begotten mean? Well, when you think of, of the word begotten, it typically means someone who is born. A baby is born. He's begotten, you know, old-fashioned language. The language, what is being said in Scripture here is simply that Yeshua is the one and only. Just as Isaac was the one and only, even though Abraham had more than one kid, and the same language speaks about the nation of Israel as the one and only, even though God has people from every tribe and every nation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeshua came and tabernacled with us, shared in our humanity identified with us, suffered with us. and died for us. Somehow, the Word of God here is is conveying to us the majesty of God. On one hand, on the other hand, it's conveying to us that God is very much approachable, very intimately involved in our life. He wants us to be connected to Him. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to appreciate what it means to walk together with a King. You know, we take the Lord for granted so many times. And during this season, we have engaged in repentance because we need to appreciate just who our Lord is. We need to understand the fact that He is Awesome, he is holy, and he is approachable at the same time. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only one 
the one and only, full of grace and truth. Do you know the presence of God in your life? Do you understand the fact that the Lord wants to be more deeply connected to you? Or do you feel like the mountains are way above and beyond where you are? You know, sometimes we see the difficulties of life as, as mountains of oppositions. And it's hugely important for us to understand that the Lord is bigger than all the mountains. I wanted to conclude with a verse from Micah chapter 2. Would you please listen? I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in a pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord is at their head. We are trusting God this year for breakthroughs. Breakthroughs that come not because we are the ones who get in the bulldozer and push everything out of the way, but because God gets in the bulldozer, pushes everything out of the way. The language in Micah chapter 2 is very emphatic. God breaks through, and then we break through. Just to give you a picture of what's going on, Micah is thinking about a temporary enclosure. And what was going on back in those days is the, the shepherd would take the sheep and gather them, bring them up into the high country for the summer. And part of what they would do is they would find a temporary enclosure and the shepherd would slap together some kind of a temporary uh, in, uh, closing some kind of a door where where he and the sheep would spend the night. And then in the morning, he would break open this enclosure so that the sheep could, could come out. Part of the picture is uh, having read something about sheep, and I've never been a shepherd. I was actually involved in a uh, an excursion when I was a kid in Israel where we were involved in washing sheep in the Sea of Galilee. I know that sounds bizarre, but they're quite the honorary critters. And what would happen is that the shepherd, the, the sheep would be, get, they would get up and they would be nudging, they would be pushing, they would want to get out, but they could not get out until the shepherd would break forth the enclosure and then they would be able to break forth and go right behind him. And he would lead the way. And on, on this holiday, as we are next Shabbat, we will be concluding the holiday season with Simchat Torah, the celebration of the Torah, the conclusion of the yearly cycle. We're standing before God and saying, Lord... We need you, not just in general terms, but we need you to break forth on our behalf, to go through, to break forth through the wall so that we can go out and walk and do the work you've prepared us to do. And God wants to do that. It is our blessing to know the Almighty God who existed before creation, who put together this world, this universe, who put us together, who is unapproachable in some ways, who is mysterious. We want to pause and reflect on that and say, Lord, 
You're majestic. You're, you're way beyond us. I rest in that. Psalm 91. Uh, blessed is the man who rests in the shadow of the Almighty. We want to do that. At the same time, we want to recognize the fact that God wants to hang out. The Word became flesh and hung out with us. We want to pursue and to press towards the Lord. We want to celebrate in what He's going to do this coming year. Do you trust God for blessings in your life? Do you know what God wants to do in your life? You have a clue. Are you willing to believe Him, to trust Him? Because He is supreme and almighty and He has all the power. And at the same time, He's committed to you. Let's stop and... And pray. And as we do that, I just want to ask you as we take a moment or so to, to reflect, do you know who your God is? Do you know how big he is? How majestic he is, how powerful he is, and at the same time, do you know how much he loves you? He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. How much more with him will he freely give us all things. He wants to engage, hang out in your life. He wants to accomplish his work. Father God, we praise you. We bless you for who you are. We thank you, Lord that you are way above and beyond us, beyond our understanding. We thank you, Lord God, that you created this universe, you created us, and that you are very intimately committed to us, Lord. We praise you, Lord, that you want us to know you and to dwell with you, and you want to dwell with us. You have pitched your sukkah, and you want us, Lord God, to dwell with you. We praise you, Lord God, for that. I pray for the eyes of faith for each of us, Lord God, to see you, to understand your work, and to embrace, Lord God, what you want to do. Lord, be exalted in our life as individuals and as a congregation, Lord. Do your great work among us, Lord. We pray that your right hand will, do, will be lifted high and that your right hand will do great things. We ask all this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Reflect on what we had just heard this morning.
and being in a atmosphere of worship, I just wanted to read a couple of verses. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is a devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Each of us struggle with areas where we have bondage, where we are oppressed. And God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God, so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Yeshua knows every area of your life where you struggle. Every single area of your life where you struggle. He understands that because he suffered and he is able to help you. If you reach out and say, Lord, thank you that you understand me. Thank you that you know all my ins and outs. You know when I sit down, when I stand, You want to set me free. I want to receive that. I want to receive that. Cry out to the Lord today. Lord God, set me free. Cleanse me. Heal me. Help me. Equip me fully for every good work. Receive the glory. Amen. Join me in the Kiddush. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, Creator of the fruit of the vine. Thank you, Lord. Baruchata Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam Hamotzi lechem min horetz Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe that brings forth bread from the earth. Thank you for these beautiful hearts. The ironic benediction, God commanded Aaron and Moses to bless the people by putting his name upon them. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Yivorechech Adonai ve'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha Fichunecha, 
Shame Yeshua HaMashiach, Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Stick around for our Sukkot. Chag Sameach.